Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. We are at that point in winter where, at least for me, I start finding myself like randomly, it's like one o'clock, I'm doing work, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about a beach and warmer weather and what it would be like to wear shorts and (laughs) not have to put like five layers on just to go for a walk outside. Um, And so Lauren and I, we just said, you know what? We're going south. Yeah. We're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, in part for the warmer weather and also because there's kind of a big conference next week, a little thing called CPAC down in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) Yes. Next week, we are going to be at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Orlando, Florida. And uh, Lauren, explain a little bit about what we're doing there. But more importantly, Tell the people about the tumblers. The tumblers. The tumblers. So actually, uh, I was just in Florida last weekend, mm. and I'm going to Florida again. So <laughs> I, I can't stay away. Yeah, I got a little sneak preview of the weather, but the reason I bring it up is because we had all of our CPAC swag shipped to my poor parents' house. Like their whole garage now is like Daily Signal swag boxes. <laughs> and so I, because I came back to DC between the two weekends, brought back some of these problematic women tumblers that we got mm-hmm. for CPAC and literally everyone in the building like stops me and they're just like where do you get it how do I get one like, well you gotta go down to Orlando yeah <laughs> but uh we're so excited at CPAC what we do with the Daily Signal we're there to record interviews there's gonna be a lot of prominent lawmakers a lot of just really big names in the conservative movement so we want to interview them and get that information out to you but also we're there to meet regular good Americans who come together at this conference. Mm -hmm. People just like you. Yes. So please, we will be on Media Row. Uh, We will be there literally from 8 in the morning to 8 at night. Stop by, say hello, get a Problematic Woman Tumblr. We have really great stickers. Yeah. A little photo opportunity. Mm -hmm. So we're we're really excited. And Virginia, believe it or not, I think this is like my 11th CPAC. That's insane, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of CPAC conferences. But y'all, these Tumblrs, they're pink. They say Problematic Woman you got to get one. So if you're coming to CPAC, come by our booth. You'll just have to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram. Which you're probably already doing. You're probably already doing. So just show us that you are, and then the Tumblr is yours for free. Who doesn't love free stuff? Virginia, can you um, take a picture and make sure to put it on the Instagram so people see it? Because I don't know if they they really believe me. I'm going to model this Tumblr for our audience on Instagram. Wow. All right. Well, we have a great show planned for today. Lauren, what do we have queued up? Upon today's Problematic Women, we take a quick trip over to Eastern Europe to discuss what is going on between Ukraine and Russia right now. Plus, Miss Magazine is dehumanizing pregnancy to promote abortion. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. America is not the most economically free country in the world. In fact, we're, we're pretty far down the list, sadly. Every year, 
the Heritage Foundation produces something called the Index of Economic Freedom. It's both uh, a print and, uh, and a digital kind of platform online, and it ranks every single country in the world according to that level of economic freedom, which essentially one way to think of it is kind of like how easy would it be to start a business in that country. And unfortunately, America fell even further this year than it fell from last year. So to discuss our good friend, problematic woman, and communications manager at the Heritage Foundation, Gloria Taylor is back today to help us make sense of this data. Welcome, Gloria. Great to be here, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so Gloria, we're, tell us a little bit about this, um, this Index of Economic Freedom and what exactly its purpose is. And then, of course, where's America at on this, on this list? I say that's the, the hot topic this year. Everyone wants to talk about it. <laughs> um, so when I think of Heritage's classic publications, mm. I always think about the index. Yeah. Um, we started putting this out in 1995, I believe. I was one. I'm 27 <laughs> now. So like, this has been around for a while. It's pretty authoritative. So when you were a baby, you were like, you know what? <laughs> I need yes. to work on this. This is important. <laughs> what's so funny is when I was in college, I used the index in some of my economics classes, and I had other friends that used it. So I knew what it was well before I started to work at Heritage. And I think that's something that's so cool about it is it's not only just a tool for policymakers. It's a tool for students. It's a tool for countries across the world. We have press contacts from different embassies and countries reaching out to us all throughout the year. You know, when is the index coming out? What is our mm-hmm. ranking? Mm-hmm. Like these countries genuinely, truly care about what the index has to say in terms of the level of economic freedom in their country. So this year was certainly a year for headlines. Um, there's a couple big key takeaways that, you know, are really important. Fox Business said of the index this year, Biden's economy drags U.S. to all-time low in Heritage Freedom Index. Yikes. So. That's one of the big ones. Um, Worldwide economic freedom also declined across the board. So that was not great to see. And then Singapore held its spot as the leading country. So those are our our three big nuggets. How does the Heritage Foundation come up with these rankings? Yes, great question. So the index evaluates countries in four broad policy areas that affect, as you guessed, economic freedom. Um, (laughs) Those four are the rule of law government size, regulatory efficiency, and open markets. So those are the four big categories. And within each of those categories, there's things that they give scores on, whether that's trade freedom, property rights, um, how well the judicial system stands up, Mm. government integrity. So all of these different things that play a role into, you know, as you could say, for an example, being able to start a business in Mm -hmm. the country. So that's where those scores come from. The U.S. went from number 20 to 25 that's its largest Ooh. drop ever and the lowest it has ever been. So that was it's discouraging. It's, not good. Really, it, it's not great. <laughs> and, and Dr. Roberts said this whole index paints a really grim picture for economic freedom, not only here at home, but also abroad. Mm, that's really discouraging. <laughs> so there's there's several different categories. You have countries that are in the free category, mm. the mostly free, which is where America is, mm-hmm. um, moderately free, um, mostly unfree, and then repressed. So there's only seven countries that make it in that top free category. Gloria, you, you spent so much time with all these countries. Do you remember all of them? Can you name all seven that are have that, that beautiful free score? This feels like a pop quiz. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, good luck. My specialty... All through school was 
being the pop quiz guy. Oh, really? I was always prepared, yes. Oh, I was not prepared for the pop quizzes. <laughs> oh, yes. People love to, like, ask if they can, you know, use my notes. And, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm ready for this. Okay, okay. Let's go. Singapore, Switzerland, Ireland, New Zealand, Luxembourg, Taiwan, and Estonia. Wow. Wow. Bravo. Love to see it. <laughs> Taiwan, very interesting. Yeah. Mm. I know. I was – some of these – I was fascinated to see. Um, I was texting my sister yesterday. We always I, I play guessing game with her every year. It's a little nerdy when <laughs> well, the index so comes nerdy. out. It's so <laughs> nerdy, but like she's kind of into economics. So I texted her and was like, "Hey, the index is out. Guess which country's number one?" And we went back and forth. And her top guess was Switzerland. But I think people like always automatically think of like some of the European countries, mm. and they forget about those like little Asian nations that are really leading the way. So, yeah, it, it, Asia Pacific is leading the way in economic growth, mm-hmm. despite China. Despite China. Despite yeah. China, <laughs> who continued to be down very close towards the bottom, though not in the least And Iran was there, though, so no surprise mm-hmm. there. In North Korea. In North Korea. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a group to be in. I know. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. So, you know, if if you're thinking about economic freedom and, okay, if, if I had to start a business, if you had to start a business – Tomorrow, you had to quit your job and go off, be an entrepreneur. What business would you all start? Oh, that's good. Something that lets me be outside. Hmm. Like if I could have my own park ranger company. Oh. Like get rid of the NPS. Gloria Taylor, the park ranger. I'm moving into town. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I don't know how you would make money doing that. I don't know either. I'll figure it out. I mean, if you could like live in a tent in the park, then you know you could save some money. It'd be so sustainable rent. too. <laughs> so I don't think about that too often because I like my job here at Heritage. But I will say, not starting my own business, but what I would always want to think about doing when things get particularly stressful is just going and waiting tables on the beach. <laughs> so because I just like talking to people and I like eating and I like the beach, and I've just figured that's where those three interests come together. Yeah, what a beach make really good money at the summertime. The beach restaurant? Oh, probably like the Panhandle in Florida. Oh, strong. Yeah. Just somewhere where it's nice. Freedom. Yeah. America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be really close to DeSantis. <laughs> Get that like ocean breeze, the DeSantis breeze. He'll come to your restaurant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll he does a him. lot of campaign events down there. So. There you go. You can but what about you, Virginia? Do you have a little higher aspirations than <laughs> wedding tables on the beach? I mean, I, I can't say that there haven't been moments where, yeah, it's like, oh, that sounds nice. Mm. But so I, I have like a very low-key a side hustle, so I'd probably just expand that doing wedding coordination. Um, and it, it's a it's a wild – the wedding industry is wild, mm. but it's so fun because it's all these small business owners that all like have their special little craft. Um, and you get this like bizarre adrenaline rush by coordinating mm. someone's wedding and knowing that like, OK, this is it. Like if everything <laughs> goes wrong, that's on me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that it, is – It's fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's very high stakes, high pressure. It is. It is. Yeah. Fortunately, um, nothing has ever gone wrong. I think um, probably my greatest fear is dropping a wedding cake. Um, that's never happened, but it's just like you in have my to carry head. the wedding cake. I did once. It was very heavy, and like I have replayed that situation so many times, and literally been like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus, that I did not drop that wedding cake," because there was a moment where I thought I might. Um, wow. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably I probably am just going to get other people to carry it for <laughs> now. <laughs> Having secondhand anxiety for you. Uh, so good. All right. Well, stay with us because up next, uh, we're going to tell you what you need to know about the current 
tensions between Russia and Ukraine. From economic freedom to wedding cakes. It's a, <laughs> we're we're taking people on a journey today. <laughs> it is a journey. Well, I am excited to let you know about a new product that the Heritage Foundation just dropped. And that is the Kevin Roberts podcast. Dr. Roberts started here at the Heritage Foundation late last year. And let me tell you, we love Mrs. James. She was an amazing president. But there's been an energy in the building since Dr. Roberts started. And I I think from day one, my team has been personally excited about starting his podcast. So to see it come true, he interviewed Senator Tom Cotton on China and their growing influence and why that's really dangerous to America. He then talked to a Heritage Foundation expert, Dean Chang. And it's just, it's both really serious and gets into policy, but it also is just fun and and it really energizes you about today, which you don't really get from a lot of podcasts. A lot of it's like dire and you finish listening to it and you're like, (laughs) womp womp. So really encourage you, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show. All right, welcome back. You all maybe have been seeing on the news or on social media that Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine. You maybe heard President Joe Biden speak on Tuesday about tension between the two countries and America's response. So what exactly is going on? Here's what you need to know. First, Russia and Ukraine have actually been in an ongoing war for years. Yeah, so Ukraine and Russia have been at war with each other since 2014. Ukraine had a pro-democracy revolution back in February of 2014. And since that time, uh, Russia has really been targeting Ukraine. Ukraine, way back in the day, was part of the the Soviet Union, and it was called the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. Then amid the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine declared sovereignty in 1990 and then full independence in 1991. So part of the tensions that you're seeing now, it goes back to that um, that revolution when Ukraine began really embracing democracy in 2014 and then when Ukraine declared independence from the Soviet Union in the 1990s. So long story short, Russia wants to control Ukraine once again. Right now, Russia has moved about 150,000 troops in the region around Ukraine. Experts say Russia could really invade the Ukraine at any time. Russia's President Vladimir Putin has, of course, not been clear on his plans or whether or not he plans to invade. This is a rapidly developing situation. Countries like the U.S. and Germany have been clear that they will sanction Russia heavily if they invade Ukraine, but it's unclear whether the threat of heavy sanctions is really enough to deter Putin from invading Ukraine. One of the big questions right now is, what will happen if Russia does invade Ukraine? Yeah. I think one of the really big things we need to start off before we even go into what happens if they invade is to address how did we get here in the first place? Yeah. Um, you know, since day one of Putin taking power, he's been actively trying to undermine American interests. Mm-hmm. And so Biden comes in, takes a different approach than Trump, leading with diplomacy first and appeasement as Putin continues to escalate. Um, and then you add on top of that the weakness of this administration on the world stage. You have our southern border in chaos. You add to that the weakness of the Biden administration fully on display on the world stage since day one. You've got a border in chaos, a collapsing economic agenda, the Afghanistan disaster, the Olympics mess. Gosh, mm-hmm. we couldn't we couldn't have postponed that. And so more importantly, 
related to this situation is the unilaterally capitulating to Russia on Nord Stream 2. And so basically you see Putin looking at the Biden administration as a hot mess and goes, I'm going to take my shot. I'm going to capitalize off of this moment mm-hmm. and enter this situation. He's seeing a lot of weakness from America right, mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, what What do essentially um, totalitarian leaders do? They look for that weakness and they think, how can I exploit that? How can I take advantage of that? And that's exactly what we're seeing from right. Putin right now. And so, you know, for conservatives especially, like, why is this so important? You know, as a conservative, you, we believe in national sovereignty in a country being able to choose its borders um, and, and the right to determine its destiny without interference from other countries. So th- that's a huge piece of conservatives why we should be paying attention here. You know, mm-hmm. Russia wants a weak and divided Europe. China wants to see a weak and divided Europe. America and its allies benefit from a Ukraine that is not controlled by Russia. They benefit from Europe that is stable and free from Russia's intervention. So these are all important factors as we're thinking about what could happen, what should the U.S. response be, what should the U.S. have already done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I really feel for the people of Ukraine because I just can't imagine waking up in the morning and thinking, is my country going to be invaded today? Like, gosh, you know, are my, my brothers, my dad, like, are, mm-hmm. are they going to be killed? It has to be so unnerving to just really not know, honestly, from hour to hour, what is going to be next in your country. And the Ukrainian people, they want to be free. They yep. want their mm-hmm. independence. Um, and gosh, they just, uh, they're horribly and unfortunately located right next to Russia and obviously can't escape by sharing, you know, by sharing that border with Russia. And I think you make an interesting point about we don't even know what it's like to be on that kind of edge of what's going to happen next. And we're seeing this in media reports. It's anybody's guess what happens yeah. next. Every mm-hmm. hour we're seeing different reports about what the scale of an invasion could be. Um, is Russia going to set up a, a staged attack to give them precursor to go and invade? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, Russia said yesterday we're pulling back troops. Then you know a few hours later the U.S. is disputing that. So yep. <laughs> it, literally things are changing hour by hour. Cyber attacks have hit mm-hmm. Ukraine. You know, that's something that everybody said to watch for. You know, Russia's mo confuse, create chaos, so people are disorganized. They don't know what's going on. That's what's happening. We we literally don't know what is going to happen next, and it's a real test for this administration to see how they respond. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is just a reminder that elections have consequences. When mm. America's leaders think that America is not a great country or a strong country, others in the world will react to that. Yep. And so mm-hmm. when you think about how this is directly related to what happened in the failures in Afghanistan, Virginia, you're right. It's scary. It's frustrating. And all because the incompetence of our leaders. Right. And, and I think this goes further if, you know, if an invasion happens, is if it's easy for Putin to do whatever it is he plans to do, what is that going to be get in the future? Further aggression. Mm. And then China's watching as this happen. How the administration handles this is going to signal to China, oh, I wonder what the administration will do if we continue to press Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this administration going to push back against us? There are some very real, mm. scary and terrifying geopolitical consequences of what Putin does next and then how the administration chooses to respond. Yeah, the world is watching. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, we have to bid Gloria adieu. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me on and getting to catch up on the latest in the national security foreign policy world. (laughs) (laughs) Later, y'all. Bye. 
All right. Well, you know, as we as we talk about these kind of like global big events, I, I think one of the things that I'm reminded of is to take time to pause and to think about the lives that are actually being affected. Like we said, the people of Ukraine whose lives are in danger. And these are real people. You know, they they live far away, but they have lives just like you and I. And it really highlights and I think um, reminds me of something that's so important that we talk about so much on this show, which is the sanctity of life and that mm. every life matters, that it's important, that it should be protected. And of course, we so often talk about that in the context of life and the unborn and protecting babies in the womb. Um, and so I was disturbed um, <laughs> this week when uh, I came across an article from a feminist magazine called Miss Magazine. And I just want to read the header of this article because um, it, it definitely really stands out. So um, if you want to know what an attempt to dehumanize pregnancy is, then look no further than this headline. It reads, pregnancy and childbirth endanger women's lives and health. Pregnancy is not a benign condition. Mm. Like, I mean, you could just stop right there. <laughs> really, like, a pregnancy is not a benign condition. So you're essentially comparing pregnancy to a cancerous tumor. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you went there. <laughs> um, so this article, it, like I said, it's in Miss Magazine, and it's all about the dangers of childbirth and uh, how uncomfortable pregnancy is. And, I mean, granted, I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah, sure, childbirth is not always pleasant, of course. In fact, it usually is not pleasant. <laughs> um, and being pregnant has a lot of negative effects. But um, as, as I read this piece, really the message of the article became so clear. And that's that the abortion industry will say whatever they have to in order to convince you that abortion is necessary. They'll use fear-mongering and scare tactics to convince you that you have to have uh, that access to abortion. And, you know, this is the same magazine that's also running a petition right now for women to sign who've had abortions. It's um, a way for them to, you know, try and kind of build this momentum in our country right now behind abortion at a time where, you know, we're looking at Roe v. Wade potentially in a few months being overturned. And so I I think it's really important to be thinking about, okay, how how are we responding to this messaging that is so in your face about abortion. I think, Virginia, you said it when it was they will tell you whatever you want to hear about why you need an abortion, why it's important for you to have this access to abortion. And they'll uh, – I'm glad you used the word dehumanize. They will dehumanize what is very clearly a baby that even without an ultrasound, you know what's in your stomach, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is a baby. It is not a tumor and it's it's really sad because it's this like pretty pink website with nice scripty font and mm-hmm. it, you know it, look, it looks nice it looks like the problematic women logo but yeah. the lies that they're telling to women and they're just trying to normalize it and the more that they can just tell you you know up is down down is up the more that the people believe it and they'll normalize it and and people will quote feel empowered with it and that's why it's important that we talk about on problematic women you talk about it with your friends because Women are hearing this garbage all day, every day about how men can be women, how your baby's just basically a tumor growing inside of you and there's no repercussions when you get that abortion, that you have to be exactly like a man every in every way. And no, these are lies. And we just have to say, no, stop lying. We, we have been women for thousands of years on this planet and 
the fact that they just continually process this garbage and put out this garbage, it, it just, it's so frustrating, so frustrating. And that's why I love to go to events like the March for Life, like CPAC, where for once you're like almost insulated and you can almost like <laughs> exhale and be like, okay, there's people who get it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It is, it's refreshing to be around other people that recognize that right to life, that life mm. is sacred. And I think, you know, anytime I kind of hear hear the debates and the swirling around abortion and it gets really high emotion, I just always find myself coming back mm. to, you know, but life begins at conception and, you know, how, however that life starts, whether that child is, is wanted or not, if we truly believe that that baby is a human being, they're deserving of life. They have a right to live uh, and, you know, will do whatever it takes in order to defend and protect that life. Um, and so, you know, it, it's such a it's such a wild time in America as, like I said, you know, we're, we're looking at possibly Roe v. Wade being overturned and we're looking at this really this new air for our whole country to enter into a time of, of valuing life, of calling life sacred, of protecting life. Um, and I think, you know, if if you personally, like if, if you haven't kind of wrestled through fully your thoughts, your views on abortion, there's so many great resources mm-hmm. out there to take the time to really consider what you believe. It's a really good time to be doing that because I, I think um, we're, we're reaching a point where it's going to be really hard to have any middle ground. You it, it's so important to know where you stand on, on these issues um, and kind of figure out for yourself, okay, what do I really think? What do I really believe? Yeah, one fact that always surprises people that I was pro-choice in college. Yeah, that surprises yeah, I just me. always thought that, you know, I fell into the lie of, oh, let the, it's probably not a good thing, but let the woman decide. But when you think about it, it's like, no, it is, it is a life inside that person. Mm-hmm. And, and you can wrestle and try to do all these mental gymnastics all you want about like, oh, well, but it could... I'm like, no. At the end of the day, it is a baby inside of her body that deserves the same rights as the woman who's carrying it. Yeah. Well, and I'll I'll give a shout out. One of the best arguments that I have ever heard for the right to life, the abortion argument, if you just Google sled abortion argument, it'll come up. It's really, really brilliant and essentially breaks down what are the differences between a baby in the womb and a, a child outside the womb. Uh, and it, it's very articulate. It's clear. It's concise. Mm. And after I heard that, I was I was pro life. But then I was like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. You know, science backs this up, and there's really no getting around it. Um, so that's a great resource to check out. Virginia, thank you for bringing this article to our attention. It's so important to, to continually have these conversations. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to crown our problematic woman of the week. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. 
The crown goes to Jennifer Say. Jennifer used to be the brand president of Levi Jeans until she quit after facing political backlash. Two years ago, Jennifer started speaking out on an issue she did not see as political. Kids should be in school. She said as much during a recent appearance on The Megyn Kelly Show. As you mentioned earlier, you know, the conversation around CEO became very real at that point, but it was sort of conditional. You need to watch what you say. You can't talk about this anymore. You shouldn't talk about this anymore. And I think I, could, I, I couldn't do it. I, I don't know what to, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, I can't. The kids are hurting. I just can't. Um, it didn't matter what the cost to me was. And it became clear that there was a high likelihood I would lose my job. I certainly for a year have been very nervous about getting getting fired. She got a lot of backlash just saying kids should be allowed to go to school, see their friends and play on the playground. And for being so bold as to point out that kids were not spreading COVID-19. When her bosses at Levi gave her a choice to either choose to keep moving up at Levi or speak openly about her views regarding kids and COVID-19, Jennifer chose the kids. And good on her for doing so. I, I I can't imagine being in a position where you, you know, she's a mom herself and essentially kind of being told like, hey, uh, if if you want to keep moving up the ladder here at, you know, this big Fortune 500 company, we're going to need you to just be silent on your views. And something that, as she said, when she started speaking out on this, she didn't see it as political, that it was at the beginning of COVID-19 and all the data was showing that you know, kids are are not the ones getting really sick. Um, and of course, it's so important to a child's development to be in school, to be learning, to be with their peers, see their teachers, have that physical touch interaction. And she was just sort of stating it like she saw it uh, and continued, continued, continued pressure. She finally said, enough is enough. And I mean, good on her. She's, she's resigned from Levi, essentially. So she has the freedom to be able to just voice views and opinions that should not be controversial. Yeah, that's not kids should be in school. Like, yeah, <laughs> well done. Like, yeah, like as as they talked about when she was talking with Megan Kelly, it's like, you know, for years uh, that was so not controversial, and obviously, like it it's illegal to just not have your child in any school, like. Children have to go to school. That's part of our laws. They have to be educated. And uh, we all know that learning online was not quite education. Yeah. I mean, think of even us in the workplace. Like we are so over Zoom calls, right? Oh, so (laughs) everybody's excited when you sit in a meeting and they're like, there's nobody virtual. We're like, thank God. Yeah. Talk in person. And I know there's lots of circumstances where some people have to work from home. It's a great opportunity for mothers to get to spend more time with their children. But really, as humans, we're not supposed to communicate with people through screens. We need to see people face to face. It's it's the difference why, you know, having a phone conversation is great, but you can talk to somebody on the phone every day. But then when you finally see them, it's a different mm-hmm. connection. And, Absolutely. And for people to deny that, it's just insane. And you see it now with all these Democratic governors and leaders. And now they're like, 98 percent of our kids are back in school. And this is what we wanted the whole time. And you're like. No, that's not what you wanted the whole time. You you wanted to do whatever the teachers unions were telling you to do, which was a lot of virtual learning. And I mean, I'm happy to see these leaders, quote unquote, now do the right thing and make sure the kids are in school. It's frustrating. You feel like you've been gaslit of like, this is what we've been proving all the time. This poor woman had to step down from a great job 
to say something that's so true. Yeah, yeah. Well, good on Jennifer Say for taking a stand. It takes a lot of courage, I'm sure, mm. to, to walk away from, I think she was at Levi for about 20 years. That takes a lot of courage to say, you know what? My kids and speaking up for the kids mm. of the country are more important than me just continuing to climb the ladder in my career. Can't think of a better way to leave it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us on Tuesday for a special interview-only edition. Super excited about this one. Uh, And then, of course, again next Thursday for a brand new edition. But in the meantime, take a minute and subscribe and share to the show if you have never done so. And don't forget, come find us at CPAC next week in Orlando. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a fantastic week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.